This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. I think the biggest challenge is people understanding what their rights are and recognizing uh, when they might be threatened or infringed. How to handle situations when speech crosses a line. I try and focus all of the discussions that I have um, around education. So most frequently people saying offensive things are not intending to hurt another group. And finding meaningful solutions takes effort. When we have to sit in meetings and be able to confront folks in power to be able to change things and also bring it to their attention. Bias and hate speech on campus, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Freedom of speech is one thing. Speech that leads to harm or criminal activity is something else. Striking the proper balance to ensure that everyone's rights are protected has been a challenge since the founding of our republic. Of particular note of late has been hate speech or bias-related incidents on our college and university campuses. Often the college years can be when young people find their voices, but how they express their views without harming others is continually under examination. As part of a national reporting project on the topic, Iowa Watch's Lauren Wade examined the situation in Iowa, and she has our report. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me. Hira Mustafa is a senior at the University of Iowa studying ethics and public policy. She has been a resident advisor on the university's Iowa City campus, served on the Council on the Status of Women, and is the current student government president. She's also Pakistani-American. The only prominent memory of uh, like a negative experience on campus for me was when I was called a terrorist by an undergraduate student on my way home from a cultural event on campus where I was wearing traditional clothing. And so that experience made me and other Muslim students feel unsafe. But what I remember more than that is the response from the university. In December 2017, students at Buena Vista University in Storm Lake found racial slurs and offensive graffiti such as a swastika, KKK, and illegal on their dorm room doors. In January 2018, Posters were found at Iowa State University in Ames that depicted the United States with arms protecting the southwestern border from a hand reaching towards it. The poster read, no means no, and hashtag my border is my choice. And in March 2018, a University of Iowa campus unity mural in Iowa City depicting LGBTQ icons and Latin American imagery was found covered in Nazi graffiti. These are only a few incidents of bias and hate that made the news in the past year. Many incidents students do report to authorities in spite of intimidation or concerns about issues such as immigration status can't be prosecuted as crime, such as what happened to Mustafa. Department of Education Statistics reported 13 hate crimes happened on Iowa college campuses in 2016. Colleges and universities are looking for new ways to address hate on campus and provide a safe learning environment for students, such as Julian Neely, a journalism and communications major at Iowa State University and the student government president, while still protecting students' right to free speech. At times, we're forced to be the voice for ourselves in our own community, where we need to also be focusing on our academics. And so it puts us in positions where we have to sit in meetings and be able to confront folks in power to be able to change things and also bring it to their attention. It becomes like a job in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
full-time job. Um, and then the incident you described with the house that had the Trump flag, can you just talk about that in a way where, like, if someone wasn't familiar with the University of Iowa? Like, oh, so I <laughs> this is not the first time Iowa Watch has investigated hate speech and tension on Iowa college campuses. After the 2016 presidential election, students were asked how the campus rhetoric had changed amongst their peers. And students such as Madari Belkel, a freshman at the University of Iowa at the time, shared stories like this. Okay, <laughs> so I heard that there was a house um, on campus where some students lived, and before the election, they had a flag up even after the election, and it was basically a Trump flag, something that said, like, I don't know, make America great again, probably. And after the election, shortly after the election, I think it was taken down and Nazi, the word Nazi in like a swastika was spray painted onto their house. And now it's covered up with white paint, but you can see kind of where it was. And Alexander Newkirk, a graduate student at the University of Northern Iowa in 2016, said politics seemed to be the force behind students' polarized opinions. Race, you know, feminism, the idea of immigration, like these things are becoming a lot more pertinent. Trump talking about a Muslim ban and then actually signing an executive order to that fact, you know, people have something concrete to talk about. When serving as a resident advisor, Mustafa found opportunities to address insensitive language and bias she would overhear among residents and learned that listening to a student's opinion rather than starting an argument was more effective. Being an RA, I did hear little things um, around the, the hallways that were not inclusive language. And so I try and focus all of the, the discussions that I have um, around education. So most frequently people saying offensive things are not intending to hurt another group. And in those instances, it's easy to get defensive when someone tries to correct you, right? So, so I try to focus on educating with empathy so they're much more likely to expand their view of something and recognize the harm they're causing when someone they care about is taking the time to learn with them instead of um, attack them in a sense. Mustafa said the University of Iowa is adding a video on cultural insensitivity to its rhetoric curriculum. And in his time at Iowa State University, Neely has seen students shift from protesting and rallying to using conversation to incite change. The biggest challenge being that those writing on dorm room doors and hanging posters are hiding behind anonymity. You spoke about the posters. You see these messages around campus, but you don't know who it's from. Mm-hmm. You don't know if, it's, if it is a student. You don't know if it is a faculty. You don't know if it is an uh somebody within the AIMS community, you don't know if it's just somebody that is just taking a road trip throughout the country and posting these up. You don't know who it's coming from. And so it definitely puts your, I guess, on their toes on like, this person I'm in class with, do I know if that is who is putting this poster up? And for Neely, it's not about trying to change anyone's mind. It's about earning their respect. Keeping that conversation alive and providing those opportunities on a consistent basis also not trying to change their, like I said, not trying to change their ideologies, but challenging them and trying to get them to understand a different perspective of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like I said, the result is just trying to get folks to have respect um, at the end of the day. Just having respect for someone goes a long way. Like, you can live your own life, but you're not living somebody else's life. And Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade joins me now. It's a very interesting topic, but how did you determine you would do reporting on this? Well, we partnered with News 21, which covered a story, Hate in America, but they didn't have anyone from the state of Iowa. We decided that that would be a good angle to look at. 
um, college campuses in Iowa, and it's a topic we've covered before. We covered in 2016 for the College Media Project. We looked at free speech on Iowa campuses. Of course, hate speech was a big part of that. And then in 2017, we looked at how campus rhetoric amongst students had changed since the election. And again, current social issues, racial tensions, that was a large part of that. So it kind of fell right in line and was a good opportunity for us to revisit some of those. What was it that surprised you personally about the topic? Because you're involved, you're on a college campus, what surprised you? I don't know if I would necessarily say it surprised me as much as it was an interesting concept to me. What I heard students kind of repeatedly say was they really wished instead of doing things like writing things anonymously online or hanging posters, things like that, they were like, just let's just have a conversation. You know, just tell me, you know, your views and why you think that way instead of just doing it kind of behind everyone's back and not really wanting to own up to your opinions. Is that almost a cultural thing, given the differences in our world today because of things like social media? And I say that for this reason. You may post something on social media and do it under your name, but there are many others who use, if not fake names, they use pseudonyms or they post and then think later, if you will. Is that part of this that we are losing the ability to actually dialogue with one another directly? I think that might be true. I think also it's, uh, in terms of online, it's something where you don't necessarily always stop and think about what you're saying either, so it might not even be something that you're, you necessarily believe. On the other hand, though, you know, graffitiing and hanging posters has been around for centuries, if not longer. That's always been a method people have used to express opinions that might not be popularly received or just create chaos. One of the differences to me is that now you are having the disrespect of people printing, if you will, their message on top of someone else's, vandalizing a unity mural in Iowa City, etc. I think in a past time you might have spray-painted something on a wall, but it was your message, and now it appears to be infringing upon, if you will, the message of others. That was something, too. They said, you know, they don't know who's doing this, and it might be, you know, some kid that just thinks they're being funny and not realize the larger implications of it, but it might also be a student that actually does have some malicious intent, and that's where, when it becomes, when it's an anonymous thing, that's what becomes the issue, where students don't know who do we address and who do we talk to about this and how do we address it and say like why we believe this. And obviously you cannot weigh the credibility of a message unless you know who the messenger is and that's why we try to avoid anonymous sources in journalism so that the audience has the ability to weigh the information. How did Iowa stack up compared to others across the country? As you note, this is part of a broader partnership. But for those listening to this conversation who have not seen the other stories at iowawatch.org, how unique or similar are we in Iowa? I think I noticed similarities. Um, I mean, we talked to or we talked to students at Iowa State, and they've had you know posters being put out, and they found a racist Wi-Fi address. On located close to their campus, things like that. Um, there were reports throughout this past year in different schools in Drake University and at Buena Vista University of 
people graffitiing on college campus and on college property. When people read the story or hear the report today, what do you want them to take away from this whole thing? What do you want them to appreciate about this issue? I think that there is a civil way to discuss it. There's a civil way to approach it and to respect each other's opinions. So what's the answer then? If we have this lack of respect going on, how do we turn it around? Um, to listen to people's opinions, not shut them out immediately. Do you have optimism that we can get to that point, given where we are in society in terms of the polarization of disagreements? I would hope so. I think a lot of it will depend on the students that are currently in, the, in schools and how they're taught how they approach these next few years of their lives. Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade, thanks. You can read Lauren's report as well as others in this national project online at iowawatch.org. Coming up, we'll speak with an attorney who works on these issues daily as part of a national organization dedicated to defending and sustaining the individual rights of students and faculty members on campuses across the country. That's next when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. I'm Bailey Ramsey, the event planning intern at the nonprofit, nonpartisan producer of this program, Iowa Watch. Right now, Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign to support nonprofit journalism. Newsmatch will match every dollar you donate to Iowa Watch so that quality journalism like the Iowa Watch Connection can continue. Your $25 becomes $50 in support of in-depth, fact-based journalism. Please consider supporting this work by going to the donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. That web address again is iowawatch.org. And thank you for listening to our program. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our discussion of hate speech and bias on college campuses now. Adam Steinbaugh is director of the Individual Rights Defense Program within a group called FIRE. He explains. I'm with the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Uh, we are a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization out of Philadelphia, uh, and we work to defend uh, student rights and uh, faculty rights uh, to freedom of expression and due process in higher education. What's the biggest challenge to those things that you just mentioned, the things that you are defending and preserving? What's the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge is people understanding what their rights are and recognizing uh, when they might be threatened or infringed. Uh, I think that the First Amendment is uh, particularly complicated, uh, and it's it can be somewhat difficult to uh, figure out, you know, what your own rights are. So if if a young college student uh, is not sure what their rights are, they're, they're not particularly informed about them, they might not recognize when uh, a university or the government uh, infringes on those rights. And if you don't understand your rights, you can't stand up and defend them. Um, so, 
the more people understand their own rights and say, hey, wait a minute, my rights are being infringed here, uh, the more likely they are to reach out to, to us or to other organizations and say, hey, I need help. Uh, but if they don't know what their rights are, they don't know to, to reach out, and we might never hear about it. You've had an opportunity to look at some of the reporting done on this topic from Iowa Watch. Does any of it surprise you based upon your work and knowledge of how things are going across the country? Uh, not particularly. I think that Iowa is uh, kind of a, a good example of how this is playing out across the nation. Um, you have universities that are uh, attempting to uh, provide a avenue for students to uh, inform administrators of uh, very real problems that they are encountering, and you have uh, administrators who are kind of struggling to figure out how they respond to that. Um, and uh, how they respond to that uh, can have an impact on uh, the First Amendment rights of students. And again, because they are public universities, they fall under the interpretations of the First Amendment to the Constitution that they cannot stifle speech in advance. There is no prior restraint. But there's also the infringement upon rights of other individuals when the speech may lead to harm. So it's a delicate balance and one that I'm not sure everyone is equipped to either understand or administer. What are your thoughts based on your experience? I think that First Amendment issues are... Uh, The First Amendment can be somewhat deceptive because it seems so simple. It it promises freedom of speech, but uh, that can be very complicated in how the the law interprets the First Amendment. Uh, So it it can be very difficult for an administrator who might not have a legal background or the legal training uh, to apply the First Amendment to uh, very complex, very emotional, and uh, very difficult situations. Is this getting worse? And worse is a subjective phrase. I fully understand that. But I'm concerned that in this era where people are more and more emboldened because of social media and the ability to get messages out and have instantaneous response, I wonder if the conflict is actually greater than easily a generation ago, if not five years ago. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's as as the internet, uh, you know, expands realms of communication. It makes it easier for people to uh, share information and communicate. I certainly think that there uh, is a greater chance that people's stories about what they encounter uh, and the situations they encounter and their experiences, uh, you're you're more likely to see uh, more examples of the very real things that people encounter, um, and that. That can play out in a whole bunch of different ways. Give me some examples, because you're right, it is something that that we have noticed that there is a perception among some news consumers that certain things in the world are quote-unquote worse. Well, it's because they have knowledge of it. There may not be more incidents, but they're more aware of it. So give me some examples of what you are talking about. It can be difficult to ascertain whether or not we are seeing more of something because more people are talking about it, or uh, we're seeing more of something because uh, there's more of it in the world. Some people might say that, uh, you know, there is an increasing hostile environment for students of color or uh, minorities, uh, and they might cite, you know, increasing uh, numbers of incidents or reports about it. Uh, Others might say, uh, well, that harassment or those incidents have always been there, um, 
uh, and that is, you know, we are just hearing about those because of uh, the uh, increasing reach of the Internet. So if you have more people who are able to share their experiences, uh, we might perceive uh, an increase in particular instances uh, simply because we're hearing about more of them. Uh, whether or not that means that there are more instances occurring or that we're just hearing about them uh, more frequently, I don't know. How does Iowa and its institutions compare with what's going on in the rest of the country? Do we find that the administrators, for example, in Iowa seem to be addressing things any differently? Uh, is this a better place for this sort of activity to take place than other parts in the country? Uh, it's difficult to uh, compare Iowa to the rest of the country. I think that as a whole, uh, the ability of students to uh, or students' rights are increasingly protected, and I think that universities are uh, increasingly looking out to uh, reform their own policies and to um, take a step back and, and do better when it comes to protecting student speech. Uh, that said, there's always uh, more ground that they can make up, um, and you know, that, that's true in Iowa as it is anywhere else. Adam Steinbaugh is director of the Individual Rights Defense Program of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE. More online at thefire.org. I'm Taylor Odekirk, PR director at the nonprofit, nonpartisan producer of this program, Iowa Watch. Right now, Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign to support nonprofit journalism. Newsmatch will match every dollar you donate to Iowa Watch so that quality journalism like the Iowa Watch connection can continue. Your $25 becomes $50 in support of in-depth, fact-based journalism. It's that easy. Please consider supporting this work by going to the donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. That web address again is iowawatch.org. And thank you for listening to our program. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. You can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.